TorahCafe.com. for over 26 years in Toronto, Chabad Markham. Um, we've noticed, unfortunately, a decline in good marriages. And we were suddenly being exposed to many couples who are struggling with difficulties and challenges, a lot of unhappiness. And we decided that we had to start giving marriage courses. Um, one of the latest situations came to my attention a couple of weeks ago. A young couple at my uh, school asked if they can come see me after they drop off their two precious children. And I said, of course, doors always open. And they both start at the same time. Ah! I said, well, the first thing you have to know in a marriage class is that we start one at a time. So I say to the wife, why don't you start first? She says, my husband and I want to go on vacation. I don't want to leave my three young children. I want to go as a family. He says, but how are we going to connect as a couple if we always go with the children? She doesn't have time to talk to me. We don't have time to be with one another to explore our relationship. We have to go alone. I think her parents can watch the three children. One night, two days. And this went on for about a half hour. I'm not going to tell you what we had decided that morning in my office. But today's class is really about understanding the language of your spouse. The two people sitting in my office were speaking two different languages. So for example, your husband buys you a gorgeous black Mercedes and he puts it in your driveway on your 40th birthday. Gives you the key and says, honey, this is for you. I love you. I cherish you. This is how I show my love. And you this is what I bought for you. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, my husband, right. So she takes this beautiful car keys and she's excited about the car. And she drives it on Sunday. On the Monday, she's showing off her friends. And on Wednesday, she's giving her friends a, uh, a run around the block. And then she goes downtown. And Friday morning, she gets in to do her shopping for Shabbat. And the car doesn't start. Brand new 2012 black Mercedes, convertible, and it doesn't start. So she's trying to, and then she calls her husband, she goes, Brett, I don't understand. How in the world did you give me a car that doesn't work? What's the joke? He says, honey, did you go put in some gas? Put in some gas. Didn't think about that. So she takes the car, drives down to the closest gas station at the corner, and she sees long lineups. So she says, why should I wait for the line that has you know, eight cars in front of me? I, I notice this, uh, this is a, a tank there that doesn't have anyone online. I'm going to go fill up over there. So sure enough, she fills up two seconds later, gives the credit card, driving along, the whole engine explodes. Calls her out and she Brad, I don't understand. What's going on with the Mercedes now? He says, what kind of gas did you put in the car? She goes, uh, diesel? Mercedes cars don't take diesel. So what we want to discuss today is two very important components in a relationship. Number one, you have to fill the tank. You must fill the tank. Each one of us has a love tank and we have to refill it on a constant basis. The second point 
that my friend discovered in her Mercedes scenario. He said, you have to fill it with the right gas. You have to know the language of your love tank. Because sometimes in a marriage, one party has a, an amazing uh, desire to help the other party and to, to make the marriage work. And they speak one language. And the other party is not really interested in that language. We generally we try to give the kind of things that we like in our life. We try to um, place that on our spouse, on our partner in life. And not always does that work. Sometimes it, it doesn't work. Now we, we've been looking to see how to fill the love tank. And in general, there are um, five love languages. There are five different ways that people uh, relate to each other. And uh, although you might find this in, there's a recent uh, bestseller book that was written about the five love languages. But we did a lot of research on it and we found that actually if you look at the Torah and you look at what Judaism has to say about what makes a successful marriage, you'll see that there are five very important components to make your partner happy, to bring happiness and bring meaningful relationship. And you have to give every marriage needs some of all five. You can't say, well, just one is enough. No, you need every one of these five components. But some people have a primary language and others have a secondary language. There's the, the main language that a person has and the secondary language. So we need to study our partner and see what is it that they need and what is it that they, they want. And just first to get to the five love languages, uh, we all know that in Jewish marriage, there have done many marriages over the years, the main part of a marriage is the chuppah. A chuppah, that's, that's how Jews get married with a chuppah. Now if you look at a chuppah and you peel away all the externals, you peel away everything, all the customs, the little, little traditions, you look and say, what does the Torah want? How do we get married? There's really five parts to the chuppah. And those are the five love languages. Five parts to the chuppah equals the five love languages. And we're just going to take you through this briefly. Okay, does anyone here can tell me, what is an essential part of the chuppah? Anyone? The ring. Very good. Anything else that's an essential part of the chuppah that you must have? Ketuba. That's number two. Anything else? What's that? Wine. But wine is more of a custom, a tradition. We're talking about what's halachically. If, if you don't drink the wine under the chuppah, it's still considered a marriage in halacha. What else would we have? Intimacy. Intimacy, correct. What else? Love has to always come, right? Decoration. The Ketuba. The Ketuba. Ketuba. Ah, very good. Hariyat right? The declaration that comes under the chuppah. And finally there is, so we mentioned so far four of them. There's a fifth component which is known as yichud, which is the private time the chassam and kala spend with each other after the chuppah. So if you look at these carefully, the first thing that happens is the declaration which Mark mentioned before. What's the declaration? The declaration you say, you are my one and only. This is what's known as words of affirmation. A couple has to tell each other over and over again. You are mine. You are my one and only. I love you in, in the English uh, language. 
And you have to say that again and again. And you have to tell each other how important you are to each other throughout the marriage. You need to compliment each other. You need to tell each other that you're, you're my best, that I respect you. And this is the first component of the chuppah, is the hare atli, you are mine, words of affirmation. The second part is, which comes immediately after the hareat, is the ring ceremony. What's the ring ceremony? It's a gift. It's the first gift of many, please God, in marriages. Some people sometimes, it's the last gift that they get, but those marriages don't succeed so much. It's a gift. The Torah tells us that the way to get married is to start off with a ring, which is a gift. Gift giving is a very important part of marriage. Show each other how special you are to each other, not only by words, but also by gifts. Third thing which was mentioned before was the ketubah. That's acts of service. Washing the dishes, taking out the dog, I don't know what that is exactly, but there are many acts of service that we do in a marriage. The ketubah says, I will clothe you, I will, I will give you food, I will provide. That's what the ketubah says. The ketubah speaks about all the acts of service in a marriage. So in a marriage, both the husband and the wife have to be prepared to give each other acts of service. Words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service. The fourth thing is the yichud. What is the yichud? Which is, which is a major component of the wedding. Most people don't know what the yichud is about. Everyone thinks that something has to happen in the yichud room. The yichud room is a, like this room that the chost and kala in the middle of everything. Middle of the entire excitement. Everyone is wishing the chost and kala mazel tov. The two witnesses come and grab the bride and groom away. They throw them into a room, lock them up for X amount of minutes. What is this all about? It almost seems strange. And there are myths as to what has to happen in the Yichud room, but the truth of the matter is, all the Yichud room is about. And some people think it's, it's about eating sushi, because lately they put sushi into the Yichud room for the, for the brides and grooms. It's not about eating, it's about quality time. In order to make a marriage work, you need to give each other undivided attention. That's what the Yichud room is all about. The whole world is, 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 is going up in fires. Everybody's ready to dance. Everybody's preparing for the cause. Now's your private time. Spend some time, look each other in the eyes, and just talk to each other and be with each other for a couple of minutes. And finally, we have the last component which you mentioned before is intimacy, which is physical touch. And uh, obviously, a marriage can't work without that. So we have, just to recap quickly what we just said, number one was words of affirmation, number gifts, number three was acts of service, number four is quality time, and number five is intimacy and physical touch. So understanding the language of your spouse is key, because if you are fluent in English but your wife is speaking Spanish, no matter how wonderful your English vernacular is, it's not going to work with your wife. You know, there's a pasuk that we say all the time, especially it's one of the 12 psukim the Rebbe chose for the children to recite, is Yismach Yisrael Ba'osav. That God is happy and the Jewish people happy is when we do God's will. God's will. So I have a lot of women who will come to me in the synagogue and they'll say, you know, Goldie isn't really fear. I'm not really so crazy about this Chabad synagogue because, you know, we don't get an aliyah, we don't get a chance to go up to the Torah. 
and I don't feel included in, this, in the service. And I say, well, so why would you like to go up to the Torah? Well, obviously, I want to become connected to God. I want to become more spiritual. I want to do God's will. Why can't I be part of this service? So I say to them, is that your desire or is that God's desire? If God doesn't want you as a woman to connect through going up to the bima, reading the Torah, then that's not his language. Find out what God wants from you as a Jewish woman. And discover that. And do that with your entire body and soul. So even in our tradition, it's Yismach Yisrael Ba'asav. We have to know what does God want from us. How many of us understand that my language, for example, might be acts of gifts. I love to shower my husband with gifts. The tie, the cufflings. But what if my husband's language isn't gifts? What if his language is words of affirmation? So am I giving him what he wants, or am I giving him what I want to give him? How many women will bring for their husband for Father's Day a box of tools? Or a new lawnmower? How many women get for their birthday a new dishwasher? A nice set of washing gloves? Wonderful gift, but it's not what your wife wants. That's not what she is needing for her language. So I want to start with words of affirmation. We're going to take each one of the five love languages. We will discover them, and then we'd like to end off with giving you the tools to uncover what is your language and how to uncover what your spouse's language is. Now this is very important for singles as well because as you're dating and setting up a marriage, you have to know that the understanding of the five love languages is key to making your marriage work. In fact, what's the Hebrew word for love? Ahava. And what is the root of ahava? Have, to give. So love is not what I get, we're going into a marriage with what I can give. Very different than what the secular world out there is espousing. In Judaism, our tradition is about what are we giving. I read a very interesting study. They say that the romance, the romance that a couple experiences before they get married or right beginning when they get married, lasts about a year or two. And then it's over. So after two years, you have many couples who are coming running to the therapist and saying, but it's over, we don't love each other anymore, the romance is gone. No, that's normal, that's the way it's supposed to be. God instituted this in our relationship so that that's how two souls connect. We find each other exciting and rewarding and, and we want to be one. Then, once we're married and the romance begins to fade, then starts the real ahava. Then you gotta give and give and give some more. Because the more you give, the more you get. So words of affirmation, such a crucial, crucial language, which so many people that I know thrive on that. Take, for example, Michelle and Barack Obama. Just recently, I don't know if you heard the story, they were taking a walk on Pennsylvania Avenue, and she notices a guy doing some construction. So she starts having a whole chat with him. And the president is not impressed because he's the president taking a walk with the first lady and she's talking to the show, this guy who's just working on some garbage. So after they leave, about 15 minutes later, he says to her, Michelle, how do you know that guy? And she goes, oh yeah, I dated him before I married you. He says, oh, 
aren't you happy that you married me, the President of the United States of America? She says, no, if I would have married him, he would have been the United States, the President of the United States of America. Words of affirmation. We can create presidents. We can create incredible husbands and wives when we take the time to give words of affirmation. When we take the time to give the compliments and the thank you. The saying, Chaim v'mavet b'lashon. What does that mean? Chaim v'mavet b'lashon. Ruti. Life and death is in the tongue. It's the words you say that can make or break a marriage. We don't even realize. You know, we're told in the Talmud that there were ten gates of speech that were given as gifts to the human beings, and, nine, and the women took nine. Nine! If we took nine, do you know what that means? That means we have the power to create an incredible marriage by using words of affirmation. Hashem gave us that gift. That's why girlfriends get together and they can talk for hours and your husband won't understand why. That's why women love to get together and talk and in five minutes you know the other woman's life story. We were given that gift. But we have to know the power. The power of the Lashon. It could make or break. And so everything we say, we could say, honey, do you mind doing the dishes? Or can you do the dishes? I told you for two weeks already, can you do the dishes? It's really the same request, but it's the way we say it. It's the tone of voice. Is there a sparkle? Is there a please? Is there a thank you? Words of affirmation, understanding the power of the tongue and using it. Encourage. Encourage is the root for inspiring courage. How many of us have hidden desires or hidden talents and it takes a spouse to bring it out, to bring out the best in you? I love the way you bring home dinner every night. Or thank you so much for doing the laundry. It means so much for me when you've done homework with the kids. I really appreciate that you get up so early in the morning, you go down with a minion and then you run to work. Thank you so much for bringing those flowers for Shabbat. What does it cost? That's the language that our spouse needs, then that is the greatest gift that we can give. It's always a very important thing to try to bring the best out of your spouse, to bring the best out of your husband and wife. And we have to constantly work on it. I've seen couples where the best dreams have been brought to fruition because a husband and wife was the best fan of, of each other. To be supportive of each other is an incredible thing. You know, honey, you know, a book you're working on for so long, go ahead, do it, finish it. It's great. I know you could do a good job at it. Or, you know, you've been trying to speak for a while, and you have this great speaking talent. Try to develop it. Go to Dale Carnegie. I'll be, I'll be with you on it. Or whatever it might be. Or anything which, which, which would be one of the most beautiful um, traditions of the Jewish people which is, it's a custom. On Friday nights, and in our house, it's, kids know, it's a very big thing in our house. After Shalom Aleichem, there's a, there's a prayer we say, Eishis Chayim, about the woman of valor. And it's a, it comes from the Proverbs of King Solomon, and it's, it's sentences, every sentence starts with another letter in the Hebrew alphabet, where the Jewish woman's virtues are extolled. We all, we all heard the prayer, Eishis Chayim, but my kids love we sing it in the house because they know, although it can be explained that it's talking about Shabbat and it can be explained as talking about the relationship of the Jewish people and God, 
they know that when we sing Eshet Chai on the house, that is the time that the husband has an opportunity to thank his wife for all the beautiful things she does all week. You're busy all week, you're running around, you're, 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 going, you're going nuts doing whatever you're doing. Come Shabbos, the whole world slows down and you start reading the Eshet Chai. And uh, in, our, in our home, we always emphasize a few different words every time when we read it, to personalize it, and to show that, that it's a real thing. And I think it's a great thing for the kids to see how the husband and wife in the house are supporting each other. And now they're talking words of compliment and tribute to each other in front of the kids. I think it's one of the greatest things the kids can see in the home, that, that there is that that support and words of affirmation is something that comes at least once a week, if not, if not much more. You know, if Hasidus explains that deep words is, is like the deepest thing. If you ever go into a house of mourning and, uh, God forbid, you see people sitting shiva, when they don't speak, there's a lot of pain inside. When you get the people to speak, suddenly there's like an outpour, there's like an avalanche, there's an explosion that happens. The words bring out the deepest emotions that are within us. I know there are lots of men, sometimes women, who have a hard time talking. Talking in general, they, they sit in the house, they say nothing. You need to work on talking. You need to work on, on bringing out the feelings that you have on the inside, because when you speak things, both from the person that says the compliments and the person that receives the compliments, they, it congeals them and it brings out the deepest levels, the deepest levels that exist within our heart. And now, she always reminds me what I forget. So now we move on to the, to the second level. First thing we said was the harayat, which is words of affirmation. The second level is, anyone remember what was the second thing? Receiving gifts. Receiving gifts and giving gifts. Okay, both of them. Um, but you have to know the kind of gift that your spouse needs. Now sometimes we think we're going to give a special big gift, and sometimes all they need is like a little card. When I got married, I never, I never understood that that there is such a thing as giving a card. And I thought it's sort of like, from my perspective, it was like a little bit corny. You know, going standing in a store and picking out a card. But after years of marriage, I actually learned that with a card, a gift, and the card. But the card shows the feeling that you thought of it. And you read the card, and you write something, you make a little note. It's a very, very special thing. Sometimes we don't know what is it, the kind of gift that our spouse, our spouse needs? That's what Goldie was, Goldie was, was talking about, that Goldie was mentioning. Um, there's, a, there's a famous story of uh, an old Bobby. She was 90 years old, and her three sons made a birthday party for her. And each one thought they'll buy her a gift for the birthday party. And they were wealthy, wealthy boys. They did very well for themselves. So they, they have the birthday party. And the first son stands up and says, you know, Mom, I bought you this mansion, a beautiful home with 60 rooms and servants. 
chandeliers and everything. It's the most magnificent house you possibly can want. The second son gets up and says, Imam, you know what I got for you? I have a special gift for you. I always know it's hard for you to get around. I bought for you a limousine, a chauffeur. And this limo is going to take you whatever you want. It's a stretch limousine. It has the most beautiful, the nicest features. And the driver is going to drive you wherever you need to go. You never have to worry another day about transportation. The third son was a little bit more creative. He says, Mom, for your 90th birthday, I've been looking all over and I came up with this great idea. I know how much you love the Torah. You love the Bible. You love studying. So I found this parrot. An amazing parrot. That all you have to do is stay chapter and verse and the parrot will recite it for you right away. You never have to read another Torah book in your life. All you need is this parrot at your side. And so the birthday party ends. A month later, the mother writes a letter to all of her three sons. To my first son, she writes, to you, you're a very smart boy, you're very wealthy, you did very well, you gave mom this mansion, but what am I going to do with it? I'm an old lady, I can't go up and down the stairs. There's too many rooms, too much cleaning, too much of a headache. Thank you, but no thank you. To my second son, you, you thought you were a little bit better, but the, the chauffeur is driving me nuts. He talks the whole time, from the moment I get in the car to the time I get out of the car, he's talking and yakking. I don't need it, I like it the old way, but I drive my own car. But to my third son, ah, you were always mom's favorite. You knew exactly what I wanted. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> so you need to know exactly what the gift is. And you need to know how to appreciate a gift. A gift needs to be a gift that's useful, that works. A gift that the other party will understand and appreciate. So, I remember hearing this story, and if someone here has the more accurate uh, details, I would appreciate it. Uh, the story is told that Rabbi Gorelick, one of the first shluchim that went out to Italy, oh, probably over 40-something years ago, so when he came back to Crown Heights to visit with the Rebbe, and he was on his way returning back home, the Rebbe says then, so did you buy your wife a gift? I think I'd like you to look to buy a watch. I'd like you to buy her a watch, and I want you to give it to her in front of your children. The Rebbe was teaching the Shliach, you're doing great work, you're a rabbi, you're involved with community, you're helping, you're saving, you're building. But don't forget the details. You go back to Italy, bring your wife a gift. When our children and ourselves, when we see that our spouse cares enough to go out of the way and buy us a gift, again, not the toolbox, not the dishwasher, but the gift that means something. My daughter just got married about a year and a half ago, and she's such a smart girl. She has today, I guess, all the young people know how to do this. You have your likes on somehow Facebook. And so my daughter was liking this specific jewelry store in Brooklyn, and she would always be looking what she likes, and, Sure enough, her husband gets her this gorgeous ring with this beautiful ruby surrounded with diamonds. And I said, Basi, how does Chesky, you only married a year, how does Chesky know what you like? She says, Mommy, he knows the site I go on, and he went to search to see what I like. That takes a wise man, and he was, what, he's 25 years old. Maybe he saw it at home. 
You're teaching your children, giving gifts, and giving the gifts that your wife likes. It's part of making a marriage tick and making it survive and making it thrive. That giving, ahava, to give. Give the gift, go out of your way. Well, the other night, actually two nights ago, before we came, we went out with a couple for dinner, and he was telling us, well, we were telling him that we were leaving the next day, so we had to leave a little early, so we told him we are giving a class, I'm like, he goes, you know, Rabbi, maybe you can help me. I shower my wife with gifts all the time. I buy her diamonds, I buy her pearls, I buy her anything she wants. She doesn't seem to be happy with what we're giving her, what I'm giving her. Can you explain? I said, it's easy. That might not be her language. She might not need your gifts. It's not a terrible thing. If it's not your language, it's okay. Just discover what her language is. And I think they went home that evening to try to discover what the language was because it is crucial to learn the language of the spouse. And, and the giving, when you give the gift, it's using, again, using that words, the verbalizing, understanding how to give it with a, a smile, not just throwing it, oh, here's a gift for your birthday. All right, here it is. But that the way you give it, the way you present it, you put your heart and soul, you think about it. All these little things make the difference. So, the we, third, so oh. we expect everyone over here to, to buy gifts today before Shabbos, so make sure... If that's the language. That, if that's the language. And it's interesting because when I told the wife, I said, do you understand that your husband is showering you with gifts? That gives you a key. This is his language. If he is giving, and this is for all of us sitting here, how you uncover what your language is and how you uncover what your spouse's language is, is very easy. You see what they're giving you the most. What they're giving you again and again is their language. So if your spouse is buying you and buying you and buying you, perhaps you have to think, when was the last time I gave him a gift? If that's his language, that shows that I love him, I will have to buy him a gift. It might not do something for me, but if it does something for him, and marriage is about doing for the other, then that's what I'll do. I'll go out and buy the gift. So now we come to the third one. Third, uh, the acts of service. Remember that we had the words of affirmation, buying gifts, and these are the things you have to do to fill what we call the love tank. And the third thing which we see in the chuppah is the ketubah, is the acts of service. I remember uh, many years ago when I was in 770, there was some kind of a legend. I'm assuming this story was correct. I had some friends who said they saw it. So I guess it was a true story. There's a very famous chassid, Rabiul Khan, who is uh, absolutely a photographic mind, he's a genius. And he was the choser, he was the one who used to uh, memorize on Shabbat the Rebbe's talks. And then, then afterwards, after Shabbat, they would transcribe it. And he was a, he was a great, he's a great author, he's a great rabbi, he's like one of the greatest professors of Hasidic philosophies in the world today. And one day, because he's a professor, because he's so smart, sometimes he could be a little absent-minded too. So one day he came to yeshiva with a bag in his hand. And the students asked him, what's the bag? And he gives a look, he forgot. He brought the garbage bag all the way to yeshiva. <laughs> On the way out of the house, I guess his wife asked him to take out the garbage. So he, he brought the garbage all the way to yeshiva. But I, I thought you could learn something especially good from that. What can you learn from that story? He 
came to the yeshiva to show the boys that even someone that's so high up in the air and so, so deep and so profound, what does he do at home? He takes out the garbage, which is, an, which is an amazing thing. There's another story that's told of someone from a completely different circle in Jerusalem. There's a famous rabbi of Shlomo Zalman Orbach who was in Jerusalem. So one of his students from the yeshiva came to complain to him that his wife asks him to do all these menial tasks. And he's a big yeshiva bachar, he's a, he's a yeshiva, he's a big rabbi, he has a smicha. Who am I to go and do all these menial tasks at home? I'm, I'm, I'm so great. So the rabbi says, let me think about it. Next morning there's a knock on his door. He opens up the door and sees this old saintly rabbi with a long white beard comes to the house. He says, Rabbi, I asked you a question, but I didn't need you to come all the way to the house to answer the question. No, no. He said, I didn't come to answer your question. Can you tell me where is your garbage? I'd like to take it out. What was the rabbi doing here? He was teaching the student that as great as you are, you always have to be ready to roll up your sleeves and wash the dishes. To do those kind of tasks that you need to do at home, those acts of service. And some people, like they, you know, not for me, it's not, there's no such thing. And the Gemara tells us about every head of Shabbos, and today we're head of Shabbos, Gemara Kedushim, Daphne Malaf, says that there were many great rabbis, one used to clean the fish before Shabbos, another one used to, these are, these are things that my wife knows, my, my favorite thing is going, I go to the supermarket, because she sends me, of course, every head of Shabbos, I go to buy things. I said to myself, what, what can you do today, the equivalent? Like, I can't clean fish, so I don't know how to do that. But you have to do, you have to do things. You have to do simple things in the house. Um, Rabbi Perlman had mentioned before that the rabbis used to, in the olden days, they used to get down on the floor and play with their kids. Play with their kids on the floor. That's, that's what it takes to make a marriage work. It's acts of service. I just want to give a little message to the women sitting in this audience. You know, sometimes women complain, my husband doesn't know what I want. Doesn't he know I need ABC? Our husbands don't have mind readers. They don't have that special machine that says mind reading detection. We don't want anyone to have such a machine. We have to use that Tisha Kavim, that gift of communication, and say, I would appreciate if he did so and so. You know, the week after we got married, so of course, a good Jewish wife, I made a cholent. Next Friday morning, I'm ready to make the cholent, and I give a look, and the cholent pot had not been cleaned, and it was now green, and it had been growing, and it was white and green, and it was developing into something that I couldn't recognize. And I said to my husband, I don't understand. How could you not wash the cholent pot? And he says, wash the what? I said, the cholent pot. You know, all men wash the chalum pot. He goes, all men wash the chalum pot. In my house, my father never washed the chalum pot. And it suddenly dawned on me, many years later, that you have to say... The same pot is still there. <laughs> you have to say, in my house, which is true, in my house, my father's contribution was washing the chalum pot after Shabbat. I have a, a real uh, illness with... Ch one hour old cholimpat. I love it on Shabbat. Well, not enough to eat it, but I love to make it. But comes after Shabbos, I can't touch the pot. And so, 
I would assume my husband would have known. You know what? He didn't know. And I never told him. And his father never told him. But if I would have taken a moment and said, you know what? In our marriage, it would be great if you would do ABC. So we don't have to struggle for 25 years with anger. If he only loved me, he would have washed the chompot. If he would know how much it would mean, he would take out the garbage. He's a lousy husband because he never ever asks use our speech, our debore, and say, I would appreciate it so much if you did A and B. And it's not the, again, it's the way we say it. There's nothing wrong in a loving marriage to say, I would appreciate it so much if you would pick up your socks. I would appreciate it so much if you would cover the toothpaste. Now, these are such insignificant things, but some women I know, they're ready to make, break up a marriage because of something like this. We have to understand that acts of service is crucial. And in order for our spouse to give us what we want, we have to use our deeper. We have to say it, and say it politely, and say it with love. And when we do it, we have to do it with We have to do it happily. Oh, here, honey, here's the clean chalm pot. Now make the chalm. Obviously, there's a way of doing everything. And the Jewish way is doing it with grace and kindness and happiness and joy because it's ahava I'm giving and who more to enjoy giving to than to our spouse if we perfected that ahava if we perfected that giving then we've perfected our language of active service but there are some women and some men who don't need that that's not their language a wife will say to her husband it's already my 25th anniversary I never got a present, not even a card. And he says, what are you talking about? I wash the dishes, I vacuum the floor, I mow the lawn, I do all the shopping, I wash it. But I need a gift. I need a gift, that's my language. I have a nanny, she could do the rest. If you want to show me that you love me, buy me a gift, buy me flowers. Even pick a flower from your garden and bring it in and say, this is for you. It's a Monday night, but I want to bring you a flower. It's a Tuesday morning, I want to bring you, make you a coffee. It doesn't have to be a big milestone, a big celebration. But if that's your spouse's language, if your spouse speaks the language of gifts, of acts of service, then you have to do the acts of service. Because that's what marriage is about. We do what the other one needs. So a couple of years ago at the convention, at the Shluchas convention, the Shluchas stood up and told this story. She says, I was having a very hard time making quality time with my spouse. It wasn't happening. He was so busy with the community, with everyone else. I just didn't have a moment to sit and talk to him alone privately. So I came up with this idea. She calls her husband at the Chabad house and says to him, honey, one of your biggest supporters wants to meet with you tonight downtown. I don't think you'll have a problem if you meet him tonight at 8.30 at the King Eddie for a drink. The husband says, are you funny for my big supporter? Of course I'll make time. I'll put into my Blackberry right now. 8.30 on the button, he was downtown at the King Eddie. He walks in and who's sitting there on the other His wife. She says to you, my dear husband, I am your biggest supporter. And if you don't nurture me, you won't have your biggest supporter. What I need from you is quality time. 
My husband and I are very blessed with eight children. Our youngest, Salmi, has Down syndrome. And he is a full-time job. Anyone who has special needs kids, you know it's a full-time job. And on Sunday mornings, there's a friendship circle program in Toronto. And every Sunday morning, and my husband, who's a very busy man, knows he doesn't schedule unveilings or meetings or conferences or anything. Sunday morning at 10.15, we drop off Zalmi at Friendship Circle, and we go out for a coffee. Because those two hours are my, my, I need quality time, that's my language, and my husband knows my language. And he will turn things around and change his, even sometimes food funerals have to get changed. So that, because if we have our quality time. They stop dying, no one's dying. <laughs> the quality time is my language. And I understand that, and I can verbalize to my husband that I need that. I need that time. I need it. And you, you, you need, and you need to make sure that it's undivided attention. You can go out, and I know lots of people that go out to restaurants from time to time, but it's not, and it's not real quality time. It's not undivided attention. When you go out and you spend a few minutes, it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, they used to say the Rebbe used to, Rebbeson, Voucher Rebbeson used to, stay up very late, her husband used to come in the wee hours of the morning, and she would stay up, and she would have always prepared like a glass of tea for him, and they didn't see each other much of the day, but when he came home, she was always there waiting for him, and she would spend quality time over a glass of tea, and that was, that was something very, very special for them. Um, the other day we were, uh, we were in Los Angeles, so in this restaurant called uh, the Fresh Grill. I don't know if any of you know, but it's, it's not a bad place. So we were there, and uh, we're watching a couple they're going out. And we, they're wait, 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 we were together with other couples. We didn't go out to watch couples. We were together with a bunch of friends, enjoying them lunch. It's just one of these things you do. You do couple watching. <laughs> so this couple sitting next to us. We're here. She's talking. She's talking. She keeps on talking, and we don't hear him say anything. He's like, there's nothing coming from his business court. Not a word. And we give a look, and we see. She's talking, talking, and he's looking at a Blackberry. The whole time, he's looking at the messenger, and she talks over. Is that quality time? Is that special time? No. All that is, is that they're, 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 they're on two wavelengths. One is talking, and the other one's somewhere else. They're not really in the same space. What we taught is there has to be a yichud. Yichud means you're in the same room and in the same space, the same mind space. That you communicate with each other in a way that it's complete undivided attention. So when, when one of the partners come home at night, you throw away everything else you're doing. And you go to the door and you greet your spouse. That's something very special. And to show them that you that they're the most important thing in your life. It's not a lot of time. It takes two seconds. But yeah, I'm busy with the kids. The kids are running around. They're driving us nuts. So many other things going on. But you need to spend quality time with undivided attention. Just to mention that the Rebbe Rashab once said that uh, just like it's a mitzvah to put on film for the men every day, it's also a mitzvah to spend a half an hour every day to think about the education of the kids. If we're allowed to add an addendum to that, that it's also a mitzvah every day to spend a little bit of time with your partner in life.
doesn't have to be even as long as a couple of minutes. But those couple of minutes have to be sacred and with each other. And another very important part of quality time is, for example, if that's the love language of your spouse, and they, for example, enjoy museums or going out to, to bookstores, and that's not your language, but by you going and saying, I'm going because I know you enjoy it, that verbalizing, I want to go with you to museum, I don't really understand art, I'm not into Chagall's and Picasso's, but I'm going because I know you love it. Do you know how strong that is? Do you know how powerful that is? I'm doing something for you because I know you love it. And I want to do what you love. In fact, we talk about, you know, my husband was talking about you know, that Blackberry. I mean, the next generation, to all the young singles sitting in this room, the next generation is going to be very challenged because the young today are uh, addicted to the iPhones and technology. And you almost can't walk in the street and see two people anymore talking to each other. They're both sitting on their Blackberries and on their iPhones. And that is breaking up this language. If your language is quality time, you're not getting it by taking a walk or sitting in a car together for a trip or going on the airplane or sitting in the airport. And there's no communication. There's no eye-to-eye -eye contact. There's no you time, me time. We have to know when to let it sleep. Put the Blackberry down. My, my mother knows that when she's on the phone and she likes to always call me that time when it's supper time and my husband walks in, the first thing I was like, you know, Ma, I'll call you back if Amela just walked in. Oh, if Amela's in. She doesn't like when I say that. She doesn't want to hang up the phone from her daughter. But she respects that when my husband comes in, I hang up the phone because I want to give him the quality time that he deserves. And the children should be able to come out of the rooms and say, hi, Ta, hi, Mom, hi, Dad. Each one of us, and we have to be able to facilitate that in our families, and we have to be able to show our children what it means to give that. That when our children talk to us, you know, you know the story about the little boy who comes over to his dad and says, Dad, how much do you make an hour? And dad says, excuse me? He says, I just want to know, like, what do you make an hour? The father was really agitated. Well, if you have to know, I make $75 an hour. The kid runs upstairs and he empties out his piggy bank and all his little places under the mattresses and puts together a little Ziploc bag with money and he says, Dad, here's $75. Can I have an hour of your time? So we're living in a society today where children are feeling it and spouses are feeling it. And all the technology out, out there that's supposed to bring us together and make the world smaller, it's making us more divided. We're not connecting. And this is our biggest challenge today. We are not connecting. We're there. We're at the fish grill. We're both eating the same lunch. But she's talking and he's in his, his face is in the blackberry. How sad. But this can be corrected. Because quality time doesn't cost a cent. It just means you have to psych yourself up and say, what's my spouse's language? If this is what it means to him, then the, and I, this is my language. And luckily enough, Baruch Hashem, my husband appreciates that too. We treasure our quality time together. Talking about uh, talking the language of your partner, I'm going to tell my wife's favorite story, <laughs> just simply because we have to talk the same language. So this is a story that happened a number of years ago. Everybody heard the story? That's your language. It's fine. <laughs> um, happened in, in, in Florida. We, went, we were going to a simcha, and we were at this amazing Red Roof Inn in Florida. Anyone heard the story before? 
So red the red roof is something like the Hyatt. It's, it's a very high class. We stay, those, those days we still stayed in places like the Red Roof Inn. And um, we're sitting over there. And so we had a few moments. It was Florida. We came for a bar mitzvah. So we said, you know, let's, let's spend some quality time. As you heard, we do it from time to time. So we went at the poolside. It was quiet. There was no one there. And we sat down and we started to talk to each other. But lo and behold, one of the characters from the Red Roof Inn comes out. This guy looks like a real rough guy with this, you know, six pack of beers on the one hand and, and a carton of cigarettes on the other hand. And he comes and he sits down right next to us. And he's smoking and drinking and smoking and drinking. And we're getting like sort of annoyed by this whole thing. And we're hoping that maybe it'll go away soon so we can... No, he doesn't go away. He starts speaking to us. He says, what are you, who are you guys? What do you do? He says, you know me, I'm Tom, and I'm a tree-hugging kind of guy. I take care of trees. Um, that's what I do for a living. He says, what do you do? So I say, uh, you know, I'm uh, like a rabbi. And I try to explain to a rabbi, he doesn't, doesn't have any understanding of what a rabbi is. I explain to him, it's like a... Jewish priest, <laughs> something like that, and he's thinking and thinking, and uh, he says, oh, okay, I think I understand what you are, but then he comes to Goldie and he says, ah, so you must be the nun. <laughs> so I tried explaining to him that in Judaism, there's no such thing as priests and nuns, in our religion, very, very different than the Christian, the Catholic religion. We get married. And we don't just get married. Torah, the Torah speaks about it. Yeah, eight kids later. <laughs> um, we don't just get married. The Torah says, You have to be like one flesh. And this is where the, 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 the final component of marriage comes in physical touch. That is a very, very important component of marriage. Unlike the other religions where ascetism, removal from the physical world, going to a monastery is a way of life. The Jews is the opposite. The rabbis get married and they get very married because it's about bringing down holiness into the physical world. And that's what, what Judaism is all about. That's the main message of Judaism. And that's the secret of marriage. Doesn't mean you should philosophize together. It, it means you have to bring flesh to flesh and bring down to the to the to the most uh, physical senses the the, the shechina, the holiness of Hashem. So um, it's interesting because there are so many mitzvot in our shulchan aruch and the code of Jewish law. And there's so many details. I mean, even you know, just making a cake. It's the eggs and how you check the eggs and the mixing and, and making a challah and making the blessing. Everything has so many laws. And yet when it comes to the laws of actual intimacy, and I'm not talking about the laws of nida and the separation, which we'll discuss momentarily, but the actual laws of intimacy, there aren't that many laws. Because I think the Torah really wants us, Judaism wants us to really appreciate and enjoy being one, being one entity. And, 
yes, there's many Kabbalistic insights and this, uh, spirituality in our, in our intimacy, but the Torah doesn't want a couple to be running to the Kodu Jewish law every time when they're together. It's about expressing and desiring each other and doing what the other partner wants in a loving, loving way. And, and that's how Judaism is so different because in Judaism, with the right person at the right time, you are creating the holiest place in Jewish life. In one of the classes, someone asked, what's the holiest part of your house? And someone said, the table. I believe it's the bedroom. The bedroom is the Kodesh Kadashim. It's the Holy of Holies. What other words in our religion use the word Kodesh? Kaddish, Kiddush, Kodesh Kadashim, Kadosh Kadosh, and intimacy, and our marriage is Kedushin, is holiness. Do you understand how much value Judaism puts on physical intimacy? It's not something that, oh, only those people who aren't holy do. It's the holiest people are involved. The holiest people. In fact, in Judaism, it is so beautiful that um, even the way, you think of the way we are compared to animals. You know, animals breathe, animals eat, animals drink, animals sleep, animals procreate. How are we different than animals? Because the way we procreate, the way we are intimate with our spouses is different. The Torah talks a lot about when a couple is intimate, they are facing eye to eye, heart to heart, soul to soul. What does that reflect? The face, face to face is panim, the panimiyot. When you look at your spouse while you're intimate, you get that panimiyot, that, that absolute intimacy. You go to a place that you can never explore if you weren't seeing eye to eye. The eye is the windows of the soul. These are all words and, and the language that the Torah uses to, to espouse how beautiful and holy marriage is and how important it is. When a couple is together, when they're intimate together and they're thinking about one another, the holy souls, and I'm not even talking about giving birth to actual physical children, but the souls that they are creating when they are intimate. Because it's a mitzvah to have intimacy whether a woman is postmenopausal, pregnant, nursing, not only about having children, it's about consummating that marriage, that fifth level. That language is key. Otherwise, we're roommates. What makes us a marriage is that fifth part, that physical component. There's a story that's told of a Talmudic scholar that was sitting with his students, giving a class, thousands of students, and someone comes rushing and says, Rabbi, you must run outside. You can't believe what the child just did. He says, what did my child just do? He says, he's thrown rocks. That can't be my child. With all due respect, Rabbi, you're spending most of the time in the yeshiva. How do you know what your kid's doing outside in the playground? He says, I know how my child was created. I know how my child was created. I know what thoughts I had when I was intimate with his mother. When me and my wife had intimacy, what we were thinking about, we were thinking about each other. Not about others, not about the latest movie star, not about someone else's neighbor. We were focusing on each other. So physical touch is not just about the sexuality. It's about holy, oneness, the dafkabo, to become one body. And that takes place only with the right person. After you have that bracha of Harei Admi after you have the chuppah, in the right time. And that's the second component of physical touch. 
that Gary Chapman doesn't discuss in his book, The Five Love Languages. You see, in Judaism, God knows, because he created us, he knows what makes human nature tick. And he knows that there has to be time together and time apart. And the only way a marriage can thrive and survive and be full of passion is when there is sometimes you have to be separated. And so God actually instituted the mitzvah of Tarat Mishpacha, that as soon as a woman gets her period, she separates from her spouse in just this last, the last language, physical intimacy. And they separate for five days and then seven white days, and then they unite again when the woman immerses in the mikvah. So a couple of years ago, I was giving a class because I teach brides many to, uh, all the time. And this woman walks in, she was about 38 years old, going into her first marriage. And the reason why she was taking my marriage course was because her fiancé wanted my husband to marry them off. And he says, great, I'll marry you off, but you have to take Goldie's class. So she comes to the class and she gets to the part where I talk about separation for 12 days. And I just see her eyes rolling. And she's just, the body language is just bursting. But I'm, I'm just trying to be polite and pretend I don't notice a thing. The hour is up. She says goodbye. I say, I hope, Stephanie, I hope I'm going to see you next week, Tuesday night. And she gives me a look like, you're going to see me. <laughs> anyway, the next week she shows up. I go, Stephanie, to be honest with you, I did not think you would come back. She says, to be honest with you, I wasn't going to come back. I got into my car. I pulled out my cell. And I called my fiancé and I said to him, do you know what I just learned in that class? Do you know what kind of class you sent me to? Now, her husband, her fiancé, is a psychiatrist in Sunnybrook Hospital in the mental division. And he deals with many, many couples that are going through lots of emotional challenges. And he's listening to her on the phone saying, do you know what this Robinson just said? We have to separate 12 days every month. There is no way I'm going back to this class. You better find another rabbi to marry us off. And he says, she said that? She said that? 12 days? I just want to tell you, it's nuts. I can't believe she said that. He goes, that's brilliant. I've been telling that to my patients for years, and I thought I made it up. That comes from our tradition. That comes from our Torah. You're going back for more. And this couple is not religious. And every time on the high holidays she comes to synagogue, she says to me, I don't do many of the customs, but this is one mitzvah we do. She realizes, and they both realize, that the key to a marriage is to having excitement. You want to bring that romance back in. Rabbi Kiva says one of the reasons why God instituted the seven white days after a woman's five days of period is so that they should re-experience a chuppah every month. You tell me which person you know, excluding yourself, that wouldn't want to experience a chuppah again every month. That's what the chuppah brings into the marriage. It makes that physical touch not just be been there, done that. You know, a steak, and even the steak last night was delish. But if they served it three times a day here at the JLI, on Sunday morning I would just beg for a bowl of cornflakes. I mean, how much can you have a good steak? Depends what your love language is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Some people love steaks. <laughs> But, but, God instituted that during these five days and seven days, a couple separates, they sort of re become connected in the other four languages, they rediscover one another, and then after the mikvah, they reunite again. And I'm just going to end off with a very powerful story. 
that shows us how important it is to work on our marriage, that this, despite what society is telling us that everything is disposable. I mean, it used to be we threw out paper plates. Now we're throwing out computers. How disposable are we going to get? But marriages are not disposable. The altar sheds a tear when a couple divorces. And this divorce is part of the Jewish language. We still have that in our Shulchan Aruch, but it's a last resort. I'm going to end up with an incredible story told to me by someone who, who knows. This happened apparently to the Tanzarov. The son and the daughter of two great rabbis were going to be meeting to see if they would like to be marriage partners and get married. They go out on the first date, and the girl comes home and says to her parents, wonderful guy, intelligent, compassionate, pers personality A1. Parents go, oh, no, no, so this is something? <sighs> I'm not sure, there's something that's bothering me. Oh, the parents go, you know, go out again. Sometimes love conquers all. Just go out again, you might just, really, it might grow on you. So they go out on a second date, comes back three hours later, wonderful date. We just see eye to eye, we have so much in common, there's so much synergy and the personalities connect. So, do we have a shidduch? It's, it's, it's still bothering me. Okay, you know what? Give it a third time. So they go out the third date. Six hours later, she comes home. The parents go, wow, this is a done deal. She goes, no. Everything is fantastic. We are totally soulmates. However, I can't get over. There's a physical impediment. And what is that? It's got a hunchback. A terrible hunchback. I'm a young girl. I can't live with someone that looks like that. And said, you know what? Go out again and tell him. Tell him nicely. Why should I have to tell the shopkeeper to tell you? Go and tell him. So very reluctantly, she went out with this young man. And after the fourth date, the man was ready to propose because really they really hit it off. And she says, I'm so sorry. I really have to tell you, it's not going to work. Why is that? Say it. But I won't. I won't be upset. Hunchback. Hunchback. Ah, okay. No, no, it, it, it's probably, you know, you're probably right. It's probably very, very unpleasant and very unappealing. And yeah, but just, let me just tell you a story before we leave in part ways. About 24 years ago, there was a soul in heaven that was about to separate the female and the male. Two souls were going to come down to this world. And for the next 20 odd years, they would work on each other, work on themselves, and hopefully after a certain amount of years, they would meet and become complete again. They had to come down and have a journey and then meet. The male part of this neshama saw that the young girl was going to be born with an impediment. She would have a hunchback. And so the young boy said to God, please, if this is my soulmate, for one, anyway, can I have the hunchback? It's worse for a young girl to walk around her whole life with a hunchback. I'll take the hunchback. And he turns to this beautiful rabbinical man's daughter, this young girl that he's dating, and he says, I was the young man, and you're the young woman. I'm wearing your hunchback. In life, sometimes what we see in our spouse is really a reflection of us. It's really our challenge. It's our problem. And we have to learn the language to elicit 
the love and the respect and the camaraderie and the relationship that we had when we were still up in heaven as one soul. Hatzlacha on your relationships. Shabbat Shalom.